Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I watched an old uh, Burt Reynolds comedy last week in which he plays a man who learns he's dying of a rare, untreatable disease. That wasn't the funny part. And it was kind of, the whole thing was kind of crude and, and uh, dark funny. But anyway, with the help of a new friend, he decides to end his life on his own terms. Problem is, uh, no matter what he tries, something always goes wrong. He finally comes up with a plan to swim out to sea until he's so exhausted he'll just, just sink. That one could be the winner. But after he starts to sink, he changes his mind. He fights his way up back toward the light. As he breaks the surface, he screams, I want to live! I want to live! Already exhausted, now he's facing a very long swim back to shore. So in desperation, he turns to God. Help me, Lord. I promise not to try and kill myself anymore. Save me, and I swear I'll be a better father, a better man, a better everything. All I ask is, make me a better swimmer. Oh, God, let me live, and I promise to obey every one of the Ten Commandments. I shall not kill. I shall not commit adultery. I shall not... I'll learn the Ten Commandments, and then I'll obey every one of them. <laughs> Just get me back to the beach. I'll be honest in business. I promise not to sell any lakeside lots unless there's a lake around. I'll give you 50% of everything I make. I want to point out that nobody gives 50%. I'm talking gross, God. Well, as time passes, he kind of gets his second wind, and he, he, uh, the shore looks within reach. Now he's feeling a little more confident, and his prayer changes. You won't regret this, God. I'm going to start giving a 10% right away. I know I said 50%, but 10% to start. If you don't want your 10%, then don't take it. I know it was you who saved me, but it was also you who made me sick. Well, just so you're not left hanging, he does make it back to shore. Now, bargaining with God is uh, not a new way of praying, I suppose. It's just not the right way. We heard Abraham do something like it in our Old Testament lesson, didn't we? Uh, it wasn't the way Jesus taught us to pray, though. I, I think we've probably all done it. You know, if you do this for me, God, then, then I'll do that for you. I mean, that's what you want, right? Uh, how do you think God feels about a prayer like that? I'd like you to imagine for a moment that you're a Christian. Shouldn't be too hard for most of you. Uh, so what's your picture of God like? What's your picture of God like? Not many people are outright atheists. And, and a whole lot of people will claim to be spiritual, and, and many of them will even allow that there might be some kind of God who exists, even though they've never met him yet. But like all of us, they still have their troubles. They still have their, their trials, and they have their temptations, and their slips and their falls, and it causes them anxiety and sleepless nights, just like it does us. The difference is they have no one to turn to. Now, what if one of them, a friend maybe, uh, asked you to describe God? What would you say? Would you try to give them a physical description? An old man in a long white beard and flowing robes sitting on his heavenly throne? Probably not the best way to go since God is actually spirit. Would you turn the question around and ask them what their picture of God is like? Hopefully not right after hearing this morning's lesson about Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, that whole story could uh, turn a, a pretty big crowd into a frenzy in no time. Would you try and spin it for them, explaining that your God was a little like a kindly yet stern uncle, 
kind of guy who has a lot of respect for the old ways and still thinks what the world needs today is a little more structure, a little more discipline. You know, he's loving in his own way, but you wouldn't want to get on his bad side. Good effort, but why not just say it like it is? God is love. God doesn't take judging people lightly. You know, I think when tragedies occur in our lives or we bring trouble on ourselves, God wants to step down from that throne of his in heaven and just hold us and cry with us. I really do. I think he's the first person at every you know, bad accident scene. And he's there with the victims and families of terrorist attacks and school shootings, our unseen strength as he walks through our grief with us. You have to remember that this world's not the one he had in mind for us. You know, sin ruined that one. Now it's filled with a kind of pain that he never meant for us to experience. The good times still far outweigh the bad times. You know, weddings, birth of a child, celebration of a life well lived. Burt Reynolds' character blamed God for his troubles, and what he really should have done is rethink God. Our lives may not be perfect, but that's not God's fault. You know, he may be a just God, but he wants only the best for us because God doesn't just love. He is love. That's the gospel, isn't it? Well, Jesus, God's only son, came not only to suffer and die for our sins, but to teach us about God the Father. That's how we address God in the prayer he gave us, our Father. Jesus spoke more about God as a loving Father than he ever did as a destroyer who sent angels to bring down fiery uh, judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. A loving Father in heaven who wants all people to come to faith and be rescued from this world's sin, not judged according to it. Abraham had just, before our lesson begins, had just entertained three very special men. At least they looked like men. Two of them turn out to be angels, and the one he calls Lord is a reference to Jesus way before he was born in the flesh at Bethlehem. They tell him by, that by this time next year, his wife will bear a son. Now Sarah, who's already pushing her 90s, is inside the tent listening to all this, and when she hears that promise, she laughs to herself. But the promise had come from the mouth of God himself, and Abraham believed it. It would be God's way of fulfilling his promise to the aging, airless patriarch that, that he would become the father of many nations, that the entire world was going to be blessed through him, even if he was more advanced in his years than his wife. That child would be the first in a line of promise that would eventually include uh, the Christ child, born in the flesh that first Christmas the Savior of the whole world. As they prepare to leave, the Lord shares with Abraham that they're on their way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the wickedness of those cities on the plains is so great. Abraham has no argument about the sinfulness part. Sodom has a reputation for anything goes, but he's got family there. His nephew Lot and his family live in Sodom. He knows he's in no position to bargain with God. He even describes himself as nothing more than dust and ashes. But he does have a relationship with God. And so he pleads for mercy, not just for Lot's family, but for the whole city. You know, if 50 righteous people are found there, will you spare the city, he asks? Sure, you wouldn't sweep away an entire city if 50 righteous people are there. And God agrees to spare the city if 50 righteous people are found there. And then begins this kind of back and forth conversation with God based on Abraham's firsthand knowledge that God is merciful. What if only 45 are found there, or 40, or 30, or 20? And finally, would you spare the city for the sake of just 10 righteous people? 
As far as Abraham is concerned, that's more than enough to save Lot and his family. God is moved by Abraham's persistence on behalf of others and by his own humility, and so he agrees. As the story moves on, the people in Sodom practically beg to be destroyed by their own evil actions, and they will be, but not before Lot and his family are literally led by the hand um, by the special guests right out of the city to a place of safety. Lot wasn't a particularly righteous man any more than you and I are particularly righteous people. He'd first brought trouble on himself when faced with a choice between the fertile Jordan plains for his clan or the barren desert lands. He chose the plain and gave Uncle Abraham and his clan the desert lands. He eventually rose to prominence in lawless Sodom, where Abraham's visitors found him sitting at the city gate. That was a place reserved for the local magistrate, what we might think of as the mayor, maybe. By virtue of his position in the community alone, Lot was no more righteous than the people of Sodom whose lifestyles he sanctioned. But even though he might not have deserved it, he was spared. Lot may not have been perfect, but he was family. He was family to Abraham. He was family to God. Our God may be a just God who hates sin and therefore has to deal with sin. Uh, but he's also a merciful God, you know, a God of much more than just black and white or right or wrong or thumbs up or thumbs down. It's a God of living color, a God of relationships. And it's this aspect of God who sees us not in our sin when we come before him in prayer, but wrapped in the robe of Jesus' own righteousness for us. It's this side of God that kindles repentance in our hearts and it's this side of God that gives us the power through his Holy Spirit to change our lives, to reverse course and turn back to him. And it's this aspect of God that sees our hurts and our loneliness and our lack of direction and steps down from his throne to embrace us and welcome us home again. And it's this aspect of God who, for Jesus' sake, will do that over and over and over again. This is what gives us the boldness to approach him as our Heavenly Father confident that for Jesus' sake, he will hear our prayers and, and our pleas, and, and that he'll answer us in the way that he alone knows is best. And yet we even manage to turn a gift like prayer into a way to manipulate God. Do you think the God of all creation is, is, is open to playing let's make a deal? Is he some kind of celestial game show host? I don't think so. But does our prayer really influence him? The answer to that question is yes. And the answer to that question is no. See, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, they were given the Rosetta Stone of prayer, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. It's the key to all successful praying. Within that prayer is the uh, greatest little prayer that can ever be offered up no matter what the situation. Just four little words, but what power they can unleash. Four words from his prayer as it's recorded in Matthew for uh, Matthew's account, thy will be done. God says in the Bible, call upon me and I will answer you. Uh, in Jeremiah, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you from the Psalms. Jesus says in our gospel lesson this morning, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. It sounds like our prayers are exactly what influences God's actions and that's partly true but only partly. First, God wants to give us all good things. He delights in it. The problem with that program is that he's also given us a free will. 
Everything God wants to do for us must first pass through that free will. And because of sin, those wills are warped and, and they're weakened. Our consciences have been blurred and our thinking has been dulled, not only by our sinful natures, but by the prince of this world, Satan. God says, call upon me and I will answer. Prayer is doing exactly that. It's calling upon God. And turning to God in prayer is a big step toward overcoming our fallen tendency to turn away from him. So does prayer influence God? It certainly doesn't influence his purpose, but it does seem to influence his action by aligning our will with his. Everything that's ever been prayed for, at least every right thing, God has already planned to do. He just doesn't always do it without our consent. Our Father in heaven wants only the best for us, but sometimes I think that we, it's we ourselves who get in his way. Persistent prayer won't change his mind as much as, as uh, it'll, it'll move us to accept his will, giving him the opportunity to act. Not only does it allow God to be God, but this willingness to accept his will blocks Satan. By opening in a path to God for what he'd already planned, by stepping aside, you know, we create an obstacle in the path of the devil. Suppose I want something very much, and it's something that I need. Uh, I go to God and I ask for it. Maybe he's a little reluctant because it wasn't exactly what he had in mind for me, and so he hesitates. Now, like the man pounding on the neighbor's door in our gospel lesson, I'm persistent, and I'm insistent. And God doesn't like my insistence much, but he's impressed by my persistence, and he sees that I really do need it, and so he answers my prayer. You know, that's like a loving earthly father or mother who eventually give in and give their child the thing they ask for. But there's another side to that. Suppose God had been thinking about me all along and planning for me, and he wants to give me the good things in accordance with that plan, but in his wisdom he holds back because I still really don't know exactly what it is I need. And maybe by not knowing, I could abuse or misuse his gift or even maybe be harmed by it. That time may come when I do see that need rightly. And in prayer, I ask for it. And as my loving father, he'll be delighted to see the change in me and eagerly gives it. Which one is, is the more loving God? Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew 6. What God knows we need He's already planned to give us. The purpose of prayer is to help us understand what he already knows. It's for me to begin to think about what he's already thinking about for me. Of course, God loves us so much, he's liable to give us even more than we ask for, really. God is more loving and wiser than we, could ever, than, than we can ever hope to be. If God came to you this afternoon and he said, you know, I want to give you a special gift just because I love you. What would you like? Wow, how would you answer? Solomon asked for wisdom. But for you, I'm going to go with the winning lottery numbers. <laughs> Not that you even play, okay? But if you happen to win that $700 million prize this week, uh, first, let's talk about tithing. And second, <laughs> second, you know you're going to get tied up on a first-class world cruise, and before you know it, you're not going to have time to go to church anymore. That's not a good thing. Your faith life, your eternal future could take a big hit. The right answer would be, God, you choose. I choose what you choose. Do you have enough faith to pray a prayer like that? He already knows what you'd enjoy the most, 
but you shouldn't be surprised if he goes one better. That's our God. Prayer can't change his purpose. Um, he's already planned to give us every good thing. What it does is sort of move our will out of the way so the delivery truck can get by. Abraham bargained with God because he understood uh, God's character. He knew that God wants all people to be saved and that he never delights in, in giving them over to, to their sin. Uh, the opportunity to approach our holy God in prayer and praise and petition is perhaps the best gift he's ever given us apart from Jesus. You know, but it's in the, those, the toughest of times, isn't it? The urgent times that our, our prayers can begin to turn into negotiations. Those times when we, we feel like we're drowning. You know, we need that sense of control over a situation that's clearly out of control. You know, if we just do something, then maybe God will have to. You know, if we eat once a day, only once a day for a month, we'll probably lose weight. So if we agree with God to do X, then hopefully God will have to do Y. But that's a false hope. God knew there were no righteous people in Sodom, but it didn't stop him from allowing Abraham, who didn't know it, to haggle with him. I think maybe it's better we should pray in the urgent times, not just that a situation might be changed, but also that we might be strengthened to walk through it, even if that journey takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. And we can do that because we know that in the end, we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, come what may. And we can say, along with all the saints who have gone before us, you know, thanks be to God for his, his precious, precious gift of prayer. Amen. Now, may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll take a moment now to receive your gifts.